Hello, my name is Declan Deneen. Welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode of guests on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another. Games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections and games that have soothed wounds. My guest on today's show is Dan Croucher. Uh, now I've known Dan for, for quite a few years and Dan has... Uh, similar to, to Greg Rice when I had him on the show, Dan is a, is a producer, so he's one of those people who, who works in games who you wouldn't necessarily know what they've done on the game, but almost certainly that game would not exist if they weren't there to kind of put the pieces together. Um, and also Dan had kind of a... Um, was one of the many sort of inspirations for me uh, doing this show. Um, certainly kind of maybe subconsciously, I don't know, but Dan and... Uh, Michael French, and we talked about this on the show uh, years ago, had a video game fanzine called Blessed. Um, and I wrote a few things for it, and it was brilliant. It was a really good, cool little thing. Lots of great writers and art in it. Um, and one of the things that Dan wrote at the time was this article about how um, games and memories become completely interlinked. So his his memory of playing I oh, see I'm going to get this wrong I got it wrong in the show and he corrects me but no cuts um, I think it was Vandal Hearts or maybe Vagrant Story one of those two anyway it was forever linked in his brain with the death of Princess Diana because they both happened kind of over the same summer and I love that idea you know I mean, people talk a lot about musical scrapbooks and how songs kind of fit and remind you of very uh, specific places and, and moments and I, I do think that that happens with games as well um, which is why uh, you know this is the format of the show I love these kind of mixture things especially because games are kind of longer as well so they can kind of it wouldn't just be a moment it'll be a whole time or or relationship or something it's it's I mean let's not talk about it too much but that that is the basis of the show. so he played a big part in that and he was terrific to talk to we have a, a really good I think interesting chat there's a lot of um, psychology in there and talk about various games he's worked on and the the struggles and compromises sometimes you have to make to make certain games it's, it's a really good chat uh, I think you're gonna you're gonna really enjoy it um, as always if you want to get in touch you can email the show it's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com and the show on twitter is at checkpoint show or it's forward slash checkpoints podcast on facebook it's very important to have consistent branding um, I make a plea every week <laughs> to, for people to rate and review on iTunes, um, but nobody ever does. But it doesn't, you know, we've all got busy lives. It's fine. I'm not going to guilt you uh, into it. But um, yeah, no, like do that. That is really helpful um, if you have the time. If Because it, uh, it is, it, it, as long as you're logged in, it takes two minutes and uh, really helps out the show uh, a great deal. Uh, thanks to everyone already has, by the way you're you're the best you're my favorites you know i don't like to play favorites but you know you're, you're forcing me into it anyway uh i'm not going to go on for too long at the start because you're probably just going to skip past it anyway i'm going to try and make it in kind of odd number just to be annoying why would i do that i skip past the intros on other podcasts as well um okay i'll be back next week with a new episode and a new guest but until then let's get on with the show
Hello. Hiya. How's it going? Fine. Sorry. That's I right. solved that particular interruption issue, but no. Did you give it some sort of uh, sedative? 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 Yeah, emotional one. It's funny because <laughs> he smacked his head on the side of the bed, so he was all right. Nice. Oh right. man, so many dads recently. I've been speaking to like just in in life in general. Yeah, um, it's because I don't have kids, and I, like I'm still, but I'm of that age where I probably should be having kids, <laughs> and it's just a bit mental. And also yesterday, I, it, I yeah. spoke to um, uh, John Davidson yesterday. I did a show with him. Did you ever listen to the old like One Up podcasts? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he was like from that, and he right. was talking about his kids because they're obviously a little bit older now. They're kind of like early teenage, basically. Right. Okay. And he was talking about the games they were playing, and like I'd, I'd ne- never even heard of them. And then I looked at it afterwards, <laughs> and it's one of the like, there's a game. Have you heard of the Agario? Yeah. Is that the one with the like that you're like a little circle and you yeah, play? and you eat other yeah, circles. Yeah. yeah, my kids play that as well. And it's like it's huge. It's one of the biggest yeah, games yeah, in the world. I've yeah. never even heard of it. And it's like completely on. Everyone's online just there. Yeah, it's just like a big MMO with like yeah. circles. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. And like some bizarre political rhetoric as well in certain countries. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. No, it's nuts. So yeah, I feel well old. Um, yeah, exactly. So, hey, actually, no, I'll do like let's do like a formal thing so I can edit it together. So, Dan, thanks so much. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Uh, if you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? Sure. Hello. Um, my name is Dan Croucher. I, I guess I'm a video game developer. I'm a producer. Um, I've been uh, working in the games industry in some form or other for about 15 years, maybe 14 years, something like that, surprisingly enough. Um, from like QA and project management all the way through to like uh, sort of produ- production in, uh, in, in development, which I am doing now. Um, yeah, so I've, uh, I've worked in several different companies working my way up through uh from um looking after other people's games to making my own games to working on bigger games for bigger publishers and uh seen all sorts of things along the way <laughs> so like would you say i mean because that like obviously you've you've had sort of a hand in all kinds of different projects at various levels but would you class yourself as a producer if you had to sort of give yourself a, a distinction yeah, I think so, definitely. I mean, I'm, I sort of dabble in other stuff. I was trying to work out how to describe it today, and it was a bit like I, uh, my main is producer, I guess, but I also do other stuff too sometimes, but like not as well as I do the production stuff and not, not for a professional sort of level. Do you know what I mean? Like I do, Yeah. when I was um, uh, starting out, I did a bit more design, and I sort of moved away from that into production more definitely to the point where I sort of couldn't really cut it as a game designer. Do you know what I mean? Like I couldn't hold my head up with other two tr- real of, game designers yeah. anymore but I mean, it's, yeah. it's one of those like like in in film as well it's one of those sort of nebulous titles like what 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 is the what does a producer do and like and i didn't know and i know because we talked about it before that you watched the um the double fine adventure documentary as well and yeah. i think that was my first proper insight into what a producer would do in video game development because because of greg rice and the way he was in it yeah and sure. that's why he yeah. came came on the show and it was just like super interesting because it's like so vital to the whole thing but yet you wouldn't necessarily see the hand of it in the finished product if you know what i mean yeah definitely and it sort of it sort of adds to everyone else in a way is how i usually yeah. describe it to people is like uh you know you have like your your engineers or your coders and your artists your audio and your design and then they sort of they they're, they're the guys who do the actual work but a producer is sort of the one who binds it all together and makes it all 
become a thing rather than just a bunch of people doing work. But do you find that frustrating? Not really. No, that's why I do it. I think, in fact, that's sort of I like. I get most out of turning that sort of like different bits of work into a computer game that gets released. If you know what I mean, that's yeah, what yeah, I like do. putting all the pieces together, kind of. Thing yeah, that's them. what I like doing, and so that's why I ended up being a producer. I think because I I love that sort of organization of of work into a final thing. Yeah, I mean, it must be kind of heartbreaking at times, though, because there's certain things that you only have a certain amount of control over things, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's hard. it's probably why I still dabble in stuff. Like, I can't help, like, just getting, like, editing audio files or, like, you know, writing a doc that's a, a bit of design or even messing around with some code or something just because it can't help, like, trying to make actual bits of the game. Yeah. But, like, it's usually gets in the way more than anything else at the sort of level that I'm making games at. You know what I mean, like I should really leave that to people who went to like programming school and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But um, I've never really been able to get away from that sort of actual making something that appears in the actual game. But that's probably what got you into it in the first place was the desire yeah, to, so. to do that. You know. Well, let's let's do like the the deep dive then. So Dan, if you if you can remember, what was your your very first experience of a video game? Right. Okay. Um, I was trying to think about this earlier actually, and I was like. My memory is not great for, for stuff, for events in my life, I've realized. Like, oh, I sort of know things, but I can't remember when they happened or, or like what they were, especially. But um, This is going to be terrible. It's going to be a terrible podcast because I can't <laughs> remember anything. Now, I can remember loads of stuff, but it just sort of doesn't link together particularly well or what, like, what period of time it was. But like, oh, um, okay. I do remember play, we had a Spectrum, which was the first machine I remember being in my house. As like a, I don't really understand why my mum bought it or my mum and dad bought it, but we did. Was it for the family? Like, did you have brothers and sisters and stuff? Yeah, I had two sisters, and this was like, I guess, this was like what I was about ten, maybe. So it was eighty-five or something. And um, and for some reason, we had a spectrum. We had a ZX eighty-one as well before that. I've got no idea why. I mean, someone must have thought it was a good idea to have one. My mum's always been weirdly into computers, like more than you would expect. And so she must have decided. But neither of them like because this is a common thread that, especially like people over the age of i don't know like 35 they tended to be their introduction was their one of their parents basically was an enthusiast or worked in computers because yeah they weren't prevalent really yeah no exactly and it's, that's why it sort of baffles me still because my mum and dad are not really technical especially they didn't work in technical jobs but my mum's always like liked messing around with computers and she must something must have grabbed her about spectrums or something and she decided to get one because she used to sit there typing in the you know when you could type in like games from the back of magazines and stuff like yeah. that and like make them work by typing all the code and she used to do that she used to sit there doing that in the evenings and like it's the equivalent of like knitting or something in the corner just writing code instead you wouldn't put her down as that sort of person necessarily she's just like something about it about that activity must have grabbed her or something yeah did she play um, the games though or was she just into like the i think so especially no we used to play the games but like she she uh i was trying to remember what the first game i remember buying was or like or being there when it got bought or something and there was a game called infiltrator on the spectrum that i looked up especially because i was talking to you about it and it was um like a helicopter simulator or something like that on Spectrum. Like a choplifter sort of thing. Yeah, it was like first sort of like looking out of the cockpit. And oh, cool. Take off and there'd be loads of controls. And I remember buying it because the front of the box was incredible, like amazing sort of painting of a helicopter or whatever. But then the actual game was like really impossible to control if you were like 10, which I suppose I was. And like, <laughs> and I had loads of controls, loads of buttons. I had to like engage this before you could do this. And then and so I just ended up smashing into the ground the whole time. And like, but like, the actual game was a massive disappointment compared to the box art, which was amazing. That sounds like it could be quite good, though. Like, yeah, in I mean, retrospect, it probably is quite good. And I and I think it's like an it's an alrightly reviewed game. It's not like awful or anything. And it was yeah. like published by US Gold, I think. And it was quite it was like 
um, a decent game, I think. But yeah, at the time, I was just like, oh, this didn't quite live up to what I was hoping it was going to be when I bought it. The the box art thing is is nuts because I remember like a lot of them were complete it was like like going to the video shops as well there was a lot of films kind of sold on the box art because you wouldn't be able yeah, to yeah. look them up beforehand and i remember specifically buying a game with a friend of mine thomas when i was younger and it was i think it was for like the amstrad or something and we were about 12 and literally the main reason we bought it was because there was a semi-naked woman on the cover <laughs> like 100 percent. and the game was awful it was it was terrible yeah, yeah i think we probably yeah. had far more enjoyment from the box art than the actual yeah yeah well, you look at the box art, and then on the back is like a screenshot, maybe, and you're like, "Oh, that's probably not the game. That's just like, well, I don't know what that is anyway." But like, it's probably much more like the front of it. And yeah. then you get it home, and it's not, obviously not. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's loads of Spectrum games in my memories of like, you know, Green Beret. Do you remember that game? It's like a side-scrolling, yeah, yeah, little sort of stabbing people. That was really hard. Like, I remember just like was playing. that also called Russian Attack, or was that so, like I, a sequel? I have or no something? idea. Maybe it was like uh, I think you started out with a knife or something, but then you could yeah, yeah. Down at some point, and you just sort of. I just remember not getting very far over and over and over <laughs> for years, probably. And um, and like Attic Attack and stuff like that, I remember playing those. But were you like really into it straight away? Like, was that like, this is my thing? I don't know, really. Like, I was trying to, yeah, something else I was trying to think about, about because even to this day, I don't really, I don't know, really understand why, why I'm into games, especially. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I enjoy yeah. playing them, and it's sort of usually about as far as it goes. But like, obviously, it's defined a big chunk of my life. But I haven't, and my job, but I haven't, hasn't really sort of been a conscious thing. It's just sort of like a, I like them, I'll carry on playing them. And then eventually that led to something else. But, but you weren't like, you know, to the exception of other things, like I, I'm, I'm into games. That's, that's my thing when you were growing up. Not, not really consciously. You know? And I remember when I think back, we used to have, had quite a tight group of friends. This is like sort of between uh, 12 and 16 sort of age. And, um, we used to play games all the time, like when Amiga came out and the ST came out, and we used to play that. That was our thing that we did nearly all the time. But we'd also like ride our bikes around and to and mess about and you know and like play football a lot and all that sort of stuff. Like it wasn't that we just played games and that was it. Yeah, it was just well, like was another thing you did. did. Yeah, yeah, and we'd like buy Transformers and all that sort of stuff. Like it was just like a another thing. But everyone was really into it, I guess. But I guess you're sort of really into those sort of things when you're that age, aren't you? Like you're really. I mean, yeah, like absolutely, but also it was still quite a niche thing like if, if you were with the right people then you you would like that's why i always ask people like did it form kind of did you form friendship groups around games because that tended to be the thing especially yeah. for me growing up there wasn't there was a group of people that played games i mean everyone kind of played like street fighter but there was other people who like bought all the magazines essentially so they yeah. know what was happening yeah it's weird isn't it in hindsight i guess that group of friends must have been much more into games than than our people around us because where we were used to we used to buy a lot. Of, well, I had friends who bought a lot of games and bought the magazines and did you not talk no? about it a lot? And well, I never really had as much money as them for some reason. Or like I had a couple of friends who were quite rich compared to the rest of us, or had disposable income or whatever. And they'd buy like a Amiga, which I remember costing like five hundred quid or something when it was yeah, which is crazy money for that sort of. And I never really owned a console from the spectrum onwards. It was always someone else's console. You always hang out with them. So and you so, weren't like getting all the magazines and stuff as well. Well, yeah, I remember buying magazines, but like, I'd more it was more just like we'd sort of hang out, and the people with money would have bought the magazines, and we'd all just read them and stuff. Right, like okay. It. And then I used to, yeah, I, don't, I used to buy PC magazines at some point, and like play all the games on those. I went through a period of like playing cover discs a lot off of PC magazines. Yeah, just because I, I guess we had a PC in the house, didn't really have a console. Because your mum was into coding and stuff. 
Yeah, I don't know why. We, that's another weird thing about it. We had the PC quite early, like really early. I don't. It was like uh, who knows what spec it was, but like much earlier than you would expect. Yeah, a family to have a PC normally. Like it was quite uh, like a long time before the internet and stuff. Yeah, like way way before. So I was. I would have been like, oh, I don't know when, but um, I'd play like. This is to try and find a date from this, like the Frontier, the Elite Three, or whatever Elite Two. Was yeah, Elite? yeah. That's what I'd play on it quite a lot. So it's that sort of era, whenever that was. And like, because your mum was into coding and stuff, did that make it like immensely uncool, or were you quite into it as well? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't remember really thinking about it other than just doing it. Never, because we, I grew up in the country-ish, like in a village. So there's my friends and me, but there wasn't like a lot to do. Yeah, but it's sort of fine. Everyone sort of used to hang out at their houses quite a lot, or like around each other houses. We wouldn't go out very much anywhere. It was like country pubs or whatever, but we wouldn't like spend a lot of time out. Out. Yeah, you just sit in and play video games. Yeah, basically. So, and then I I spent like well, so I went to I, I left school, went to sixth form, and then I had a year at art college, and then a year after that where I didn't do anything pretty much before I went to university. So in that periods of time I used to just hang out at home playing a lot of stuff and it was quite cheap to buy a magazine on a weekend and play like whatever free stuff was on it. So when you were younger though it was never something you were like oh I could do this I could work in games? Not really no I don't think so I don't think I ever thought about making games it was more just like playing them that I was into because um, yeah I was trying to think back about how that sort of occurred and I don't remember burning desire to, to play to like work making games I didn't really think about who made them some, in some ways do you know what I mean? So, but for you then, like it, it's relatively um, like a lot of people, they te- when they hit kind of like sixteen, seventeen, they'll kind of there tends to be like a drop off of games a little bit, especially like again, like it's a generational thing because they just it wasn't seen as like something everybody does, um, mm. and so. But for you, it sounds like it was the opposite that that around that age period, you kind of went all in and just sat at home playing video games. Yeah, sort of. Although I did, there was definitely like a big period of my life when I when it was a gap. So there was like, because I was at uh, I went to university a bit late because of art college and stuff. So I was about yeah. twenty one, I think, when I was at university, first year of university, and it was the second year of university. I bought a PlayStation, and uh, I think maybe around that time anyway. And um, that was like a massive deal because that was like the first console I'd owned, like a proper console. I never owned a SNES or a Mega Drive or anything like that because we used to have Amigas and things. Yeah. And so that was when I got back into games like in a big way and started like buying my own games and, and like learning about the industry of games, I guess. And like, do you know I mean it wasn't, it was, yeah. uh, and I remember thinking at that time that I'd been away for a while, like feeling like I'd been away for a while. And was that because like you were just at a point in your life where you were kind of, oh, I need to kind of have a think about what I'm going to do next kind of thing? Like, why did you go to art college? Like, presumably there was some yeah, sort of creative guess- desire you had. Yeah, well, I did uh, um, a couple of art A levels because I started off doing maths, and then I've always had this sort of like this sort of this, this is like typical producer, I guess, in that I've I've been split between like art and science most yeah. of my life. Like I never really knew which one to do. I sort of wanted to do both, but um, I I dropped maths and went and took up sculpture at A level, and then went to art college for a year after that with the idea to go and do fine art somewhere, but then sort of got a bit disillusioned with the whole idea of that. And it was a bit too arty for me. Do you know what I mean why? Like, what what changed? Was it just like I don't know? I don't know. Maybe it was the people. Yeah, it was like I, I don't know. My, I like drawing a lot. I like creating stuff. I like like making things. But I was never that into the sort of the whole conceptual end of it. Yeah. So what sort of like uh, the, statues were you building? Well, I did like um, 
some like wood carving stuff and like some wire stuff and like it's just I, but I used to I found I was just like making things that I like the look of. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't had no big sort of like point to make or any sort of concept really. No. I used to make something I like the look of and then make up all the concepts because they wanted to see it. Do you know what I mean? Like the sort of like pretend you know when you do maths and you sort of get the answer straight away and you have to make up all the working yeah, yeah, yeah. that's by the the exam or whatever. It was a bit like that. Like I would make stuff that I like the look of and then like make up loads of stuff that I'd pretend I'd worked up towards I reckon a lot more people do that than uh, yeah, than probably realise, <laughs> especially <laughs> and, and like fine art maybe. But I wasn't so did that? Did that? Especially, but was that kind of? Um, did games feed into that, or did the art stuff feed back into games? Like, was there some sort of like did 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 you learn to appreciate games in a different way because you had this kind of new tool set to kind of appreciate things with doing the art stuff? Yeah, maybe. Although that was, I guess, the period where. I was a furthest away from being into games. Do you know I mean, I think I remember I like, didn't really play anything for like that whole time. We used to hang out and like smoke and drink and stuff and, and like, drive around and be arty and stuff rather than like playing games. I never really did that much during that period. I suppose I, there wasn't, there wouldn't be like, especially like a, a art school games, like the, those hadn't really come no, into effect yet. No. You know? And you know, obviously the, the group of people I met were not the sort of people who would have a, I don't even know what they would have had at that point in terms of consoles and stuff, but um, they didn't. They weren't into it, and so I wasn't into it because I was hanging out with them. Do you know what I mean? Like it yeah. was sort of. I remember like the idea of going to raves or like going out to London to clubs and stuff was like a thing that happened, and I was like, oh my god, that's pretty exciting. And and like the stuff like that was more exciting than games at that point. But then obviously you had the. That's what PlayStation did. They fed into that, and they were yeah, like, this yeah. is this is how we're going to be relevant. Like. And that's and that totally worked, and it was very. Yeah, yeah. I spoke to. Um, I did an episode a while ago with Jeff Glendening, who was like the guy behind that. Basically, he came up with the whole thing of putting Playstations in in clubs and changing the the mindset. And he was just sort of winging it because for the, the exact same reason that he could see that games weren't any kind of cultural force at all. Like nobody would be talking yeah, about yeah. it because they weren't having an impact. So he's like, right, we'll just kind of latch on to what's cool now, and then hope we can. Yeah. get in that way and it, it totally worked i mean at least in britain anyway yeah well it's interesting i guess because I, I bought a place and i couldn't tell you why i did when i was at university but maybe i was influenced by that without thinking about it that it was something i could probably come back and drunk come back in a club my... somewhere yeah. playing <laughs> yeah. eight. but like you know the idea that it could come back into your life as an adult i guess it's a big step if you're used to playing games as a as a sort of childish thing that you did do you mean or like a growing up thing that you did yeah no totally and like was that was the place because you'd been away for a bit like the playstation would have been quite mind-blowing i imagine yeah yeah completely like i, I bought a uh, resident evil bundle or whatever it was is what i remember getting and just playing that was just like you know it's terrifying <laughs> it was like a properly scary thing and do you, do you but you don't know like what prompted you to do that what was like oh do you know i'm gonna get one of these not really because uh, no, especially as a student that's, that's a huge outlay you know yeah a lot of money yeah i, I, I can't put it down i can't really, t- can't really tell you what caused that to happen? Did anyone else have one? Was it, or were you like the guy with the PlayStation then? No, I was the guy, yeah. I was definitely the guy because I used to sort of get mocked by my housemates for like staying up all night playing stuff. And there was were they not guy. into it either, no? Well, it was weird because we, there was a guy and there was me, another guy, and then five girls we lived with in this big house like in the second year of university. So it was like seven of us. And so me and him were into like, we used to play Tomb Raider and stuff. And no one else really that bothered. And so it was just me and him, and so we'd get like grief for that. But like you know, <laughs> not that we cared any at all. But 
No, they they clearly didn't understand how brilliant Tomb Raider was. Yeah, exactly, idiots. Um, so that I mean that sort of period, I imagine, would have been like quite a, a turning point then, because kind of from that point on, you've kind of been all in. Do you remember? Was there like a specific game or something that you were like, oh, this is like I love games. I can't believe games can do this now. No, I think it was just like a parade of stuff. Like if you think about, I don't know. Uh, this is my own memory's going to fail me, but like the sort of the, uh, that era. It's just like game after game that is still a basis of a franchise now. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the yeah. first ones of nearly all those franchises were like hitting the PlayStation at that time. Like yeah, like Metal Gear and Grand Theft yeah. Auto. And yeah, well, Metal Gear, the, the first the bit sort of three D Metal Gear was a huge deal. That was amazing. And then like yeah, Resident Evil, Gran Turismo, and like Tony Hawk's and like Tomb Raider and like all these sort of uh, I'm a, you know I can't remember the dates exactly right, but it felt like there was like endless parade of like genre defining stuff happening. And what were you like? What did you do in university in the end? What did I do? Yeah. Uh, psychology in the end, which is like... What? Uh, <laughs> I right. came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, sort of, if you think back, it's like the it's like the, the science versus art thing. Oh, again. It's, it's like the halfway, halfway point, point, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And so it's a bit wafty, but also it's got some basic... I end up doing like quite sciencey bits of it in the end, like a lot of biology and like AI and stuff like that, and really gravitating towards that end of it rather than the sort of therapy or emotional stuff. It was much more about... Uh, biology and stuff that's quite interesting because you get a lot of that now um in in games like a mutual friend of ours sorrel obviously is is always keen to exploit uh behavioral psychology yeah his own nefarious ends but like just in (laughs) games in in general like the i think that aspect of of uh especially kind of how to make the most of people's choices you know that kind of psychological aspect that's a huge thing in games now i think Mm, i'm sure some of the big companies that they will have not like by psychologists on staff, but certainly people they can refer to, you know? Yeah, and especially when it comes to like reward and like conditioning stuff or like, you know, like, yeah, behavioral modification stuff. It's like humans are quite easy. Well, you know all this stuff, right? It's humans are easy to trick and absolutely, and, and like very easy to like push their buttons in terms of like stimuli and stuff like that. Like a lot of the rise of some of the sort of payment models and stuff like that for games has like shown some of that. Do you do you remember like if you made that kind of distinction when you were in university doing that stuff like playing games and studying psychology? Um, I don't think so. I would, I would not you know not overtly. I, was, I remember thinking like AI and where all that met was like massively interesting. I remember doing loads of stuff on the vision system and stuff like this. That was you know when you were sort of at university, there's so much going on. Your brain yeah. is a bit like, oh my god, the world is so incredible. I don't even know what to do with it. Like you know, I'm <laughs> learning so much all the time. And then, then when that's all feeding in, it's like, oh, I got to do something with this, but I don't, I don't know what. Because so it wasn't like a, a sort of five a.m. sort of all night binge of Final Fantasy, and you're like, oh well, that's that's just my lizard brain kicking in. Nothing I can do about it. Yeah, I'm sure. No you, need to feel shame. Yeah, I'm sure I used to talk like that to people because I was <laughs> a bit of a dick about it. All do you mean when you first start doing psychology and you're like, oh well, you let, you you idiots don't know how the word works and how you're being manipulated, and I've worked it all out because I've done like one year of psychology <laughs> and you're suddenly the most clever person in the world you know? yeah no absolutely I'm, I'm sure there's uh some sort of psychological explanation for that exact phenomenon yeah exactly <laughs> exactly well it's weird because i was going out like i used to date this girl who was um uh quite religious and we used to have like, these mad arguments about like you know uh, evolution versus Anyway, because she was doing similar courses to me, and I used to, I got really into like uh, behavioral ecology and sort of evolutionary theory. I used to read loads of Richard Dawkins and all that sort of stuff. 
and then have my oh god students arguing about Richard Dawkins can't yeah, imagine no, anything worse it is like that's my that was my life it was brilliant <laughs> and I, but for me it was like I was the first one to ever do that in the world so it was fine <laughs> <laughs> but I mean this kind of um this does like quite quite nicely feed back into games because as you said like that sort of period there was like a lot of kind of the start of mega franchises but also uh there, there was this explosion of much more creative games and like being the type of student you've just described like were you very vocal about that like because games were kind of just breaking out into the the sort of mainstream cultural um arena so were you very much like are these the, the, you you should be getting into games because that's where the cool stuff is. Yeah, maybe I can't possibly. Although I was quite, I quite think quite isolated into it. Like I remember talking to you about that uh, some stuff I wrote years ago about like memories of games and blah blah yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah, totally. But um, a lot of those games were like sort of late night experiences for me, all on my own, or like throughout the night, or like you know I used to work shifts because I used to work in a sandwich shop for a while. It was really open late, a subway shop, and um. I'd get back really, really late from there and just work through the night sometimes and I'd uh, like play through the night. So it'd yeah. be, I'd be on my own pretty much. So I'd play a lot of like RPGs and long solo games rather than didn't do a lot of multiplayer. I wasn't really about that. It was more just like discovering all these sort of uh, arcane RPGs and, and like strategy games and stuff like that because I was playing on my own most of the time. It wasn't like a yeah. big social thing. I, I think know. back you mentioned the thing about the writing thing and like this this is something that i, I sent you over a message but like one of the there was a couple of sort of um inspirations for the show and one of them is like an old music show called all back to mind but there was an article that you wrote like years ago in a fanzine that you you set up about how certain games can become fixed to certain memories and you, you can't separate like certain things in 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 your head, I think your example was like Vagrant Story and Princess Dies Death, which I, I and that and that just stuck in my head the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I read it back actually the other day, and it was um, Vandal Hearts, not Vagrant Vandal Story. Hearts. Yeah, do you remember that? There's like a yeah, yeah, yeah. RPG, and uh, yeah, I can't see that game now without remembering that because uh, that was like one of those nights when I came back from Subway. It's like we used to shut like three or four in the morning, so I'd walk home with my like sandwich for tea or whatever, and the whole house is asleep, and then play games all night, and then. While I was playing games, TV was on, and I, I, it must have been that sort of time when the reports were coming in of Diana getting killed and stuff. While you were playing games, the TV was on. I'm like, like it's a like, Doctor Manhattan type guy. Maybe it's a radio or something. I wasn't in like some huge lair <laughs> yeah. with like, all these TVs. <laughs> but uh, maybe it must have been a radio or something. But like anyway, and because uh, I was the only one up, it was like, oh my god, I've heard this news first for a start, and then it was like, well, I'm going to carry on playing this game because it's really great. But like, <laughs> But as it happened, it's sort of all like perfectly linked together. It's quite a sort of psychological thing, isn't it? Like linking these things together. What I'm telling you about like games that I remember, when I pop into my head, that's usually like where I was when I was playing it. Like I can sort of remember that exact room or chair or whatever. Yeah. That's sort of like really linked together. I think there is definitely something in psychology about it because I remember there's this fact that I used to like spout to people all the time because when we lived in that same, no, not the house before that, the student house, there was someone next door. Like, there was like a well-known drug addicts next door and then one night someone overdosed but apparently it was because he um he wasn't from there but he'd gone there to do whatever it was like heroin or whatever and then there's this psychological thing where you when you do a lot of drugs you get really used to your environment that you do them in so like addicts quite often overdose when they go somewhere else and do the same amount but uh, okay because their brain is not used to that environment it's like uh 
much stronger, like much stronger effect, and it does, and they get and they have an overdose. Or whatever. I don't know how like scientific that is, but I'm pretty That's sure that's really interesting. I've never heard that before. But it's the idea that when you're getting like messed up, your or when you're doing anything, your brain is also taking account of your environment and feeding that in, so you sort of get used to it, sort of thing. So maybe that's something that happens when something happens in a game that's really yeah, yeah, and it just or whatever. Your brain sort of that snapshots the environment at the same time, or I mean, you get oh no, that that I I like that's totally true, and like yeah. also like the the thing about um like like games are such a, a combination of different of like different art forms like like there's visual and musical and stuff so there's all sorts of things from games that you've probably forgotten about that that can trigger like that's why old game music can be like yeah, super evocative yeah. and stuff because it does just immediately you can snap back to this and as you said the exact place you were you know when when yeah. you first experienced that yeah i was doing that the other day when the, you know that um final fantasy 12 remake or whatever yeah 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 and I was like looking up screenshots and just seeing like the front of the HP thing was like, oh my god! And like all this stuff has come flooding back. And weirdly, with that, I had the exact same thing, and it was the the music because I just I've never heard that music at all, yeah. like for a yeah. long time. And suddenly, it just draws you right back. And the the strongest one I had was again really recently when um, they announced the the remake of Wonder Boy Three. Right. Yeah. Uh, because like I I I think when I was a kid, I probably played that game more than any other game i think it was one of like my my favorite games in the whole world but it's just it's not remembered it's not talked about it's not like brought up mm. again and again as, as one of these games and so seeing the remake which looked great but just the sound effects it was just like oh my god <laughs> it's something yeah. i haven't heard for about you know 20 years but over the space of about a year i probably heard that like a thousand times at least it's crazy yeah exactly it's like burned in it's so weird isn't it like your brain has got this stuff in the amount of games you've played probably that yeah yeah don't even remember but all it takes is that one little thing one little part of it and your brain is like hey i remember that yeah no it's nuts and then there must be sort of i don't know that's that's let's not go down a, a dark path i was <laughs> going to say that there just must be like you know sometimes there'll be something that'll trigger some sort of repressed memory there's probably some poor person in the world who like suddenly he is like i don't know a coin bing from mario and then oh, and just pulled back the to this horrific <laughs> horrific time and, oh that must be the worst well i do i don't know i can't remember reading something about nostalgia recently that was like a, a, you know vague interpretation of it but it was like um that when yeah like when your memory when you when your memory is like storing that coin noise or whatever it is it's also storing your emotional state and so when you recall it, it like it's a little bit of that emotional state comes back to you and that's why you suddenly feel so powerfully nostalgic about things is because it's basically your brain pathway just like kicking in again of the exact yeah. happy feeling that you had last time you heard that sound effect or whatever and like combination of all the sort of happiness since then like multiplied upon each other oh, man. it's crazy there's like a long lost past somewhere that this happened once in your life and it's just sitting there waiting to be triggered again by sound effect or whatever that is amazing like i mean you i mean i'm sure you don't think this but like these sort of things with 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 games, where you know you, you can have, you can you can pinpoint a, a point in someone's life. Do you ever think about these sort of things when you're working on games? Like, oh, we need to make a really good noise for this. Like, I mean, I'm I'm struggling with how to word this question. Yeah, you know what yeah I mean? no, I see what you mean. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, not you know, not constantly all the time or anything, but there'll be times when you're making. Especially as a producer, right? My, my main job half the time is to tell people they can't do things because it's too much work or it's not worth it or something. Do you mean because there's obviously limited budget and time? Yeah. And, and nearly always, I'm the guy who says no to things towards the end, or whatever, because 
everyone, wants, most of the designers and almost everyone on the team wants to make the best thing they can possibly do. And it's full of ideas all the time about how cool it would be for the player. Or, I mean, and at some point you have to stop and say, okay, yeah, that would be really great, but like, there's just no way we can't make that as well. We have to make this instead, or we can't make anything more this month because we're completely done or whatever. Do you mean like, there's always yeah. like that? And so, but someone will say something like, uh, oh, can we just like, you know, make that animation slightly better? And it's like, they might see it once in the game ever. Is it really worth it? But someone will say, as long as they see it and they get that moment of seeing it, that's enough. Do you mean like it's enough that that person saw that? Because, and who knows what, you know, how happy that makes them. Yeah, no. It's totally. not, maybe it's not massive in the scheme of the whole game, but like, it's worth that moment being good rather than shit because someone will get something out of it at some point. I always think that with, um, like, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but like with huge kind of sprawling RPGs, like stuff like The Witcher and Mass Effect and stuff, where someone has written everything in that world and there will be so much stuff that is just completely like whatever. Yeah. Forget about that. And it could be like some of the best stuff they've done and the stuff they're most proud of. I, I, I wonder how, yeah, yeah. if they feel good about that. I mean, I, I suppose it doesn't matter. You've kind of, you've done whatever you can. There's nothing else you can do about it, but I well, find yeah, that no, frustrating, yeah. I think. It's especially amazing with the game because you don't know if people are going to see everything you make in it or even how they, whether they like it when they see it. But like, it's not like a film where you know that they're going to see everything that gets on the screen, but like in a game that could be so it could be lost completely. You might write this amazing intro to a scene that someone's like yakking over because they just booted the game up. Do you mean they're just talking? Didn't even notice it. But uh, you just sort of make it anyway because you, you know, you just have to have faith that it's worth making these little touches. Yeah. As well as the bigger picture of the whole game. So, so were you like, did you feel like there was a point during like university where you're like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do games. Uh, or like that you shifted towards that no not really i think my whole university and like years after was characterized by not knowing what the hell i wanted to do and not really knowing not knowing what it was that was the career that i could do that would be something i enjoyed do you know what i mean i didn't i uh so i oh, this will show you how badly it was planned it was like i did the psychology degree did all right got two one um and then went to work at subway full-time because i couldn't think of anything else to do and uh and it was pretty easy. The money was terrible, but like it was really easy. And I was like head of everything because I've been there ages throughout university. And um, and then while I was there, I got offered. Someone I know rang me up and said, "Oh, do you want to be a, do some QA at this company, Babel Media, which was in Hove, which was so I was working at Subway in Brighton, in Hove was Babel, and Babel were like a um, QA and localization company, and okay. uh, they they sort of like basically do mass testing of languages and translation and sort of services around that sort of thing is what they were doing at the time. And uh, and a friend of mine, Anna, who I used to live with, was working there. And she said, oh, they need testers. Oh, so she wasn't uh, laughing too hard at your, your Tomb Raider sessions then. Yeah, well, she must have remembered. But <laughs> when they said, oh, we need some testers, she said, I don't know, just the geek. Who yeah. I and um, he's played loads of games. And so they rang me up and said, you, I hear you've played loads of games. Do you want to come and be a tester? And I was like, all right. And... Uh, and that was amazing because I got out of Subway and got into something which was games related, which was like a massive bonus, totally unexpected. Um, and that was really good fun. I really enjoyed doing that. It was like literally like uh, bottom of the rung functionality QA testing on games. So just playing stuff, finding bugs. What, um, what did you QA? Uh, the one I remember, well, there's a few actually. The first one was a, 
Atari did like a 3D remake of stuff. I don't know if you remember it, but it was like Pong and some other stuff was like made in, it must have been PlayStation 1. And it was like 3D Pong and like themed areas and then Breakout and stuff like that. And there was loads of them, loads of like sub games. So there was that. <laughs> These are the sort of great stuff that I tested. I tested a Dungeon Keeper uh, expansion of some kind. Um, uh, I can't remember what it's called. But that was pretty good fun, actually. And then some terrible stuff as well. There was a, well, in case anyone's listening, there was a PC game, Action Man PC game. It was for kids, really. Like um, the toy Action Man? Yeah, yeah. It was. I think that must have been Hasbro. And um, it was like basically a side-scrolling PC game for kids, but it was so easy that I um, I discovered a testing method which involved putting a cup on the space bar of the PC. <laughs> <laughs> And then just sitting down doing nothing and waiting for it to finish. Surely that's um, even worse than than like not playing it though. Yeah, I guess so. And there was a there was a PS uh, PS one I guess version of Action Man as well, like a sort of three D action adventure type thing. Pretty lame, but like sort of in the Metal Gear Solid sort of style, I guess, but worse. And uh, because I got quite good at it, I was the one who had to play through from the very beginning to the very end on every build that came in. So that was like eight hours start to finish or something horrible like that and so when a game gets to the very end and they want to make sure it can still be finished i had to like play through from the very beginning again every single time well this seems like an appropriate point to ask um what game are you best at oh usually... yeah probably that one <laughs> 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 i've never got any better since then um no i'm pretty bad at games actually are like, you not competitive at all you don't strike me as someone's very no, competitive. Especially. no i'm not i'm not i'm I'm no good at rhythm action because I've got no rhythm, especially. Um, I'm not very good at like beat 'em ups or anything like that, uh, especially not to the level of like people who are good. Yeah. Occasionally get all right at some stuff, like if I play it a lot enough to be like mid table or not embarrassing, but I've never really been any good at anything, especially. Um, do you not have that sort of um, competitive spark in you? I don't think so. Like, I don't. I play football, but I play it to play football rather than to win. I don't really care about winning, especially. It must be a thing that where I don't really care about winning. And so it doesn't drive me to like be massively competitive. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, on, on a similar theme, like what um, what sort of game did you play the most? Is it, or, or rather, has it been any sort of game where you've had to be like, right, I need to put this down because this has taken over my life? Yeah, well, you know uh, Final, Fantasy, Final Fantasy 11, the online one? Oh, okay. I played that a lot. I I, uh, I had a PC, so that would have been like 2002, 2003, something like that. And um, I had a PC and played that with a few friends. But I used to play it like four hours every night after coming home from work to the point where I was like, could hardly see because I was not getting enough sleep like every single night. Because I had a, had a, I met my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and we used to live together. And she wouldn't let me play it all evening because I had to spend time with her, obviously. <laughs> and so <laughs> I would start playing at like 12 when she went to bed and play till like 4 o'clock in the morning and then go to work all day. And I used to do that all the time, like all week long, until by Friday I was like, just couldn't see straight. But I was like, I'm fine, I'm dealing with it. <laughs> I've only had like five hours sleep every night. But Why do you think that was? Was was there like, were you in some sort of uh, guild where you had like a a responsibility to your fellow players or anything well sort of although i don't know how well you know that game but like i don't really know it at all actually no it's like so it was like the first mmo that i really ever played um which i think is always quite special if you're if you've never played one how it sort of consumes you quite a lot because it's yeah. so amazing and then 
it was very brutal as well at the time. It was like it was it was before World of Warcraft, and so it was, which I still call like the sort of dawn of the easy MMO in a way, because <laughs> it was like I wasn't I never played EverQuest or stuff. I guess like the, the true players go much further back, but um, it, it you had to be in a party with people to get experience pretty much. You couldn't really solo at all, and um, past a certain point, and then also if you died, you would like lose experience, and also there was. Uh, if you got aggro off an enemy, it would chase you forever <laughs> until you managed to get out of the zone you're in. Like they'd never give up, and so there was like a few things that just made it really quite hard to play. But also, there'd be nights where I'd log on and like hang out trying to get a party for like three hours and not get one, and that was it. Like and then go to bed. Like it was that that difficult to play sometimes. That's and so brutal. You had, to get, you had to put a lot of hours in basically, but it was so rewarding as a result. Do you know what I mean? Like the everything felt pretty amazing to do. Everything felt dangerous and. Yeah, and I didn't. I didn't think challenge. that really took off that much over here. No, I don't know if it did that. I mean, if you talk to people who played it, I think they probably got fond memories because it's sort of game that's like hard like that. You sort of feel like you've experienced something real a bit more when you play it. Maybe I don't know. Like, yeah. when I look back, it's like I have an urge to play it. Like it's so strong that I've literally like gone back to try and play it about ten times in the last whatever it is, ten years. And realized how shit it is, shit it is and stuff, and like, and like, and given up. Within but it's still hours. going though, right? Like, people are still playing that. Yeah, I think you can still play. I think they finally shut down the the player PlayStation server because it, it was PC and PlayStation could play together weirdly, and um, and Xbox, I think I can't remember. But um, they shut down the PlayStation servers. But I think the PC servers might be still going. But it's really hard to like. You can imagine the last ten years of like life has become a lot easier in MMOs than it used to be. Absolutely, and, yeah. You can't go back, really. Even though I, I try to every now and then, and it's just sort of like, oh, I can't go back. <laughs> just for that that hit of nostalgia, no doubt. Yeah, you know, it must be like my take the music and stuff. Yeah, and then the disappointment when you realise you can't really play it like you used to. Like that moment is gone, sort of. Thing. Yeah. So after the the Babel Media thing, I, I presumably you would have started taking games as a job kind of more seriously. Well, yeah. Weirdly, like um, that's this is this, the sort of story I tell my grandkids it's not very exciting but like, I quite like it because it's quite so I left I had to leave Babel because uh, my wife decided we were going traveling around the world and I was either going with her or that was the end of that relationship <laughs> and so I went but I was really annoyed about it because I just got this job at Babel and it was like okay this is funny something's working out that's a bit more interesting yeah but then I left and then I so I so I while we were traveling which was like a year and a half or so I, I stayed in touch with everyone there as much as I could and like I used to read edge all the time and like look at so i remember being away and like following games a lot while i was away because i'd sort of got the bug you couldn't have them kind of thing yeah exactly i didn't own any couldn't own any consoles i used to like in thailand and stuff i used to collect like pirate uh rare games and stuff like that like it was really weird in thailand there was like there'd be a shop which would sold everything ripped off from japan like you know burnt copies yeah for like a quid, but then next door they'd have a real game shop selling the same game for like sixty <laughs> quid or like seventy quid. It's amazing. Like what, what sort of games? Like what platforms would you be able to do that on? So that was PlayStation. Everyone had like chip PlayStation. Oh, no, of course, they'd, yeah. They'd, they'd have like this their house where they'd made a mini arcade with like ten PlayStations and like a huge folder full of burnt games, basically. And just like you'd pay a couple of quid to just go and play stuff. And, and uh do they have cool fake covers like those kind of polish the old polish kind of bit, cinema to, covers and stuff yeah well i think they imported it from japan is where they got most of their stuff so there'd be like all sorts of weird stuff 
that you wouldn't that there were there were real games, but you wouldn't know where the hell they'd come from or what they were really because they were sort of like just pulled over from Japan and then copied and stuff. That's nuts that you got pulled away, that like being sort of torn away from games made you love them even more. Yeah, yeah, and it's a really sad story because I had a whole folder. Well, I guess not that sad for piracy, but like the <laughs> the I had this huge folder of games, including like do you remember what was it called? Tobal Number One or something. That game it was like a fighter, but you went through corridors. Do you remember that? No, I don't. Uh, it was like a sort of a two, uh, 3D beat em up thing, but you ran down these corridors, and you'd, every now and then you'd get to like a junction, and you'd have to do a fight with some guy. It's like Japanese. Oh, it was Turbo Number One. I've never heard of it. I yeah, just, it's I awesome. It's it really good. But there was a sequel to it that never came out, as far as I know. And I found it like a pirate copy of it. Anyway, I had all these pirate games, and That's then a SquareSoft um, game. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. The first, well, I remember really liking. It anyway, um, had all these weird challenges and stuff, and. Um, yeah, all of them got ripped off somewhere in Australia. Someone nicked it all, and that was it. I never got any of them. Oh no! So I never had any of those games. I was like dreaming of bringing them back home and like own, and like buying a PlayStation or getting them a PlayStation out again and like playing them all. Anyway, that's the long version of the story. But the short version is that I came back, I came back, and in the meantime, Babel had like laid off all the functionality testers, so it would have been I would have been sacked anyway. So it was didn't matter. Yeah. And then I worked for a little while in. Um, in Brighton, just doing like insurance and tax and stuff like that. I was trying to get uh, that office experience because I didn't have any. And then a guy from Babel contacted me who, I think Anna must have still been there or something anyway, and said, I've got a job of someone, I need someone who can knows a lot about games, is into games, can do some design and some other stuff. Do you want to have a go at it? And like got me in for an interview. And then I got that job, basically. So and I got where was that? There. Who was that with? That was back at Babel, so that was oh, okay, cool. a guy called Anthony who got me back into Babel, and like because I'd stayed in touch with everyone there for so long, they all remembered me and stuff like that, and like you know I knew people, and you know when you go for an interview and you can sort of like say hello to people on the way in, yeah, you're like, yeah, you're like yes, I got this because like you know they know me already, like it's really easy to get me in, and I think that is the case actually. I've interviewed people since obviously, and and then like if there's any connection that someone can vouch for them. And say like he's a cool guy. It makes such a difference in the. Oh, absolutely! Like in in everything that that's yeah. the case, you know. Because no one knows who they're hiring. They just want to be. They want to know that that guy is not going to fuck it up and and be good. Do you know what I mean? It's like... And so, yeah, I got back in. So that was that, <laughs> and that was the beginning of all of like being a proper games person. Really, after that point. So when did um, Blast happen? Yeah, so that's about similar sort of time. So that was. We started that, so just I guess I better explain what that is. So me and a guy called Mike French, who were sort of internet buddies, along with loads of other people, including yourself, on yep. various games forums and uh, mainly the Edge forum at the time. Um, I guess inspired by Edge in loads of ways, we decided to start a fanzine that would write about games, and we were like, okay, we're not going to review stuff because we can't. Um, no one will send us games because we're nobodies. And also, that's really boring. Everyone review games. We're just going to write stuff about games. We're going to get loads of people to contribute and do artwork and make a fancy. And didn't really have any great plans other than just to like make something interesting. That it was really good, though. Well, yeah, I think it did all right. Like, it was, um, it's a bit painful to read now, a little bit. It's a little bit pretentious. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Of course it is. We were, everyone was like early 20s, kind of fresh yeah, at uni. Yeah prove themselves to the world and that's kind of why i mentioned the thing earlier about being the kind of proselytizing kind of guy about oh here's games you're welcome everybody you know yeah exactly there was a certain element of that that. guy more at that point yeah it was more like that like yeah i mean to be a sort of person who would start something that we had loads of people talking about games in a sort of highfalutin way you've got to sort of feel like you're doing the world a favor do you know what i mean 
it's all, Ed, it's all Ed's fault for like talking <laughs> like that in the first place. It's weird that I mean, I, I, I was going to say then that these people don't seem to do that as much anymore, but I'm sure they do. But it'll be more likely like websites and things. There's, yeah, there's a million of them, you know. I guess there's a much better way. There was a lot of at the time. I remember doing a lot of fanzines knock around, especially like American ones that were really cool and like really nicely made and screen printed and like really, really like you know. And then, but these days I find it a little bit um, insufferable in a way. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Even myself, if I did they it, they do I'd... seem to be making a comeback. There was a big uh, zine fair in Glasgow about two or three weeks ago, right? And I'm sure there must be one every Wednesday in Brighton, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there are. And there's loads of music stuff that still happens, obviously. And I bet there's a lot of people who do it as like a, a reaction against how easy it is to do on the internet and just oh, uh, yeah. we're going to do it on paper and stuff. Because even at the time we were like, right, it's definitely going to be a print thing. It's not going to be. A website it's gonna because there were websites around obviously at that point it wasn't completely millions of years ago yeah you know it wasn't that long ago and um and so but we were convinced it was like paper was important we're gonna send it to people and all this sort of stuff and it was it was like i mean it, as you said it probably is a bit embarrassing um, looking back on it some of the stuff but there was a lot of really good stuff in it like and, and the design of it i always really liked like this is a as a a connection to the show the guy who did I think all of the covers of Blessed, uh, Craig, he also does the cover art for Checkpoints. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he did loads of art, actually. He didn't do the, I did the covers in the end. So oh, did you do all the covers? take credit for that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I apologise. I and, apologize. Uh, he did loads of artwork for us, like loads of really great artwork and um, loads of cool isometric stuff that he does in Illustrator. And like, yeah, like your, your, uh, your artwork for your show is the same sort of stuff he used to do. Yeah, yeah. And loads of other people just did stuff for free, like you'd ask them. And they were like, I guess a lot of people, like, weren't working where they wanted to work nearly all these people were working in like you know offices or shit jobs or whatever and wanted to be in games or wanted to do something and so were quite happy to spend their spare time doing stuff and you'd get people who would write like a few people who were one-off people who would meet on a forum but knew everything about like there's a guy was he called kenshi i think and he knew about yeah, yeah, yeah. like nothing else and um and like would write these huge long articles about like uh arcade sticks and all this sort of stuff and like uh, it was just amazing, like some of the like in deep knowledge. You'd get loads of people who knew loads about one thing. Would write one article, and that was it. They'd never do anything else. They'd just like. I've got yeah, to get I did. I, I wrote an article about rhythm action. That's the yeah, thing yeah, I remember Blast because I was yeah, so yeah. into it at the time. Yeah, and loads of people did that, and I like, wrote lo- loads of cool stuff. And then, and but, to I be really fair, enjoyed... most of the people did, if if not all the people, went on to work in games afterwards. Like, yeah, I think so. Like a huge proportion. Like Mike. Well, what happened was basically I. This is my other like anecdote kids anecdote for the grandkids but I, I went to that interview at Babel and they said um, so you're, you say you're into games then well how into games are you and I was like well here you go it's fancy that I've made like four issues <laughs> of all about games with all these people and they were like oh okay like pretty into games then <laughs> and like that was basically got me the job as far as I can tell and then Mike French at a similar time went and um, got a job on MTV and then people who know like industry publications will know that he went right up to the top of uh develop an MTV and then moved on so he like did really well too and then um yeah, he just did like a big games expo in London like yeah exactly like he's a big stuff these days like he's, he did really really well and he was working at like John Lewis when we started Blessed I was working in the tax office <laughs> and he was working in John Lewis and neither of us, both of us hated it happy to spend like all night doing this sort of stuff and uh and basically got us jobs but then when we got jobs we couldn't really afford to spend enough time on Blessed anymore and it really drifted because we were like too busy yeah, doing real jobs that we liked, and uh, and so leaving your fans in the dust and yeah, we painting the money over, and was like, yeah, whatever, see ya. Well, it's hard because we uh, we did it on subscriptions for like four issues or something. I can't remember now. So loads of people would pay like eight quid for four issues, 
then the last two issues were really took really ages to make and everyone was getting moody about it and we had to like refund loads of people who had paid more than they were ever going to get because we wound it up at like seven issues or something yeah and so i and then but we didn't really have that money because we'd spend it all printing the magazine like it never made any money like, it cost money all the time and uh so I didn't really have that money. I was like, oh, how much subscriptions do we owe back? And it was like 400 quid. And at the time, I didn't have anything like that sort of money knocking around. So do, you, do you miss that sort of stuff? What, like running something little like that, that? Yeah, I mean, I suppose you, you'd get a certain amount of that from working in development as well and doing like design docs and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Like, there's definitely like parallels between... I used to really like doing like the page layouts of like what's going to be on what page and getting all, everything in and like organizing it all. And I used to have InDesign and stuff and like lay it all out. I used to do all that stuff and I really enjoyed all that stuff. And I still, it's a similar, there must be a similar skill thing going on there somewhere that I like doing. Like taking yeah, because you're combining lots of, lots of stuff. Like. Yeah, lots of stuff and turning it into a thing that happens. Because, you know, lots of people can write an article about games perhaps, but it takes someone to organize it into a thing and get it printed and sent out and stuff. And that's what I was doing mainly. But it must be a similar. It must, yeah, there's some some sort of skill there that is what I do, I guess. So when you were back in sort of Babel, and like, when did you start to feel like you were kind of finding your feet and like, oh, this is this is like, I know what I want to do with this and stuff. Um, yeah, it was sort of accidental, but like, I started off doing game design. Really, Babel were making at the time they were making um games for Sky remotes, you know, like the set top boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's what we did. We made like super low budget like really they went, didn't have a lot of money and they were like really basic in terms of technology so we'd like make um loads of as many games as you could like have like a deal with someone for like six games and they'd churn them out really fast and get them all tested and stuff and so i eventually ended up like designing them getting them made with like a code one coder one artist and then doing all the qa and then the testing and the del- delivery and all that sort of stuff so it's like a mini game development yeah. for me so it's amazing for me what, what games did you make on the Oh, all sorts of terrible things, <laughs> but like uh, I remember we made a, the, we made the a blockbusters game. We made that. Oh, one. okay. Um, and like a darts game, and then we had this this sort of side-scrolling shooter going that was like sort of huge project that Babel decided they were going to do. But the technology was so bad; it was it was impossible to make something like that. Like you couldn't even really do sprites very well, and they definitely wouldn't update very fast. And so we had like all these limitations, and we're still trying to make a side-scrolling shooter with like enemy patterns and all that sort of stuff. I remember also, there was a really good puzzle bubble clone. Yeah. With, uh, like a bit with bees. I remember that was being yeah, a standout game. Oh, but was, nearly all of the games were ripped off of something else. Yeah. Okay, game. Like I spent a lot of time just ripping off other stuff. Like I did a Dr. Mario ripoff pretty much. And then like a, another one. We made a few like stuff that was actually had unique ideas in. But it was so tight. It'd be like four weeks of coding and four weeks of art. And that was it. Like, and then we'd be making like six of them at the same time quite stressful because people would drop out or add a lot of freelance coders and they'd like stop decide they couldn't deliver it or whatever yeah and and they had no backup plan because it was so tight and like so it was it was amazing to learn to like you know as training to be in the games industry it was brilliant was it like a big shift in how you uh perceived games like were you still playing games a lot um yeah definitely i think from that point onwards i've sort of been constantly playing games not like tons tons but like all the time Definitely all the time. I've always owned consoles and played games since since then, really. But um, yeah, I used to. It was it was sort of. I guess it just gradually happened. I don't really remember thinking, okay, now I'm in the games industry. It was more like a sort of, this is cool. I'm going to carry on doing this. 
it's a good job. I quite enjoy it. And Babel is a great place to work. It was really nice. Those lovely people. I wish I, I I was so relaxed in my day to day life as you then. <laughs> so like, oh, this is fine. This is all, this is all working out really well. Yeah, this is fine. Well, my my whole career's been like that. It just worked out really well. It's like you know, I really quite worked it out, but it's sort of gone well, which is good. But um, yeah, Babel changed a few times. So they, they did a that that game stuff sort of wound up because no one could really make money off of it because it was just too tight the margins and stuff. And um, Sky were a little bit difficult and stuff. It was sort of this elusive uh, middle-aged woman market at home. Do you know what I mean? He would spend yeah, loads, yeah. They'd spend loads of money on these games because they had nothing else. They were sitting around, sitting around watching daytime TV and stuff. How would you spend money on them? Was it like microtrans, like you know, proto yeah, microtransactions? Yeah, like that. I don't know if you'd pay like to keep it going or something, or whether you'd like buy up front to play. Oh, all like day. like it was a, an arcade or something. Like you pay twenty p or whatever. Yeah, I, I thought I, I want to say that you sort of paid to unlock it for the day or something like that. Hmm. So you'd like pay like three ninety nine or something crazy, and, and that would unlock the game for the whole day, and you could play as much as you wanted. There was a few games that they were like that were doing really well that those people would sit there all day on, according to Sky people, and uh, with a, a cup rested on the controller, yeah, just to exactly. see it play through. But the controller was like the Sky Remote, right? Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Spongy lag thing that it couldn't do anything, so like it wasn't really a skill situation, but it was terribly depressing to like try and control a game of that thing oh it was the worst but there was like, like oh no carry on there was like well there was times i used to go and do the testing i had to do the testing of these games as well and there was like they had these test suites with like all the different set-top boxes that you could get and they would range from like the sky plus one you remember that white one or whatever it was with the sky plus i don't know yeah, that was the, the fancier one yeah that was at like the top of the range super powerful but then at the bottom there would be like some korean thing that was like literally useless and your game had to run on all of it and half and like yeah, like I was saying, some didn't do sprites, some had like no audio, some would do like MPEG encoding amazingly well or something like it's completely different. It was like, oh my god, I've got like 400 quid to make this game work on all these platforms, and it's like it's horrendous, really. Now, but talking of like uh, fun controllers, this, this is a, a miraculous segue. Yeah, this is gonna be good. Um, you went on to work on, on Buzz, which was yeah. like the, the big quiz game, and that's uh, like I'm, I'm always. I'm not always amazed. I don't think about it that much. But <laughs> when I do think about it, it is surprising that there's still so few like quiz games like that, like classic, you know, everyone has a controller and you buzz in and play a quiz because they're super fun. Like when, you, when you're when you able to get a bunch of people together to play them, they're brilliant. Yeah, yeah. But they're, they're still quite rare. Yeah, they are. I mean, Relentless obviously did loads of them. So I went there... 2005-ish, I guess. I left Babel. I mean, yeah, um... they, they did loads, but it was like it was Buzz and that was... The, the game you know it wasn't like yeah. there was loads of different there was loads oh, no, of right. tiny yeah. variations within it but that was the thing you know yeah it was the same game like you said it, yeah it didn't go that wide there was like um idos at the time had licensed the buzzers or something to do uh he wants to be a millionaire i think okay and there was a couple other ones knocking around there was like a party game that used the buzzers as well but yeah like you say quiz games are sort of perennial but it's like they weren't uh interesting enough to make into games or something like that do you mean like it was well, I remember, uh, and I remember playing it with you because you obviously had a vested interest in it when Microsoft did the one in a million, like the Xbox yeah, Live quiz game. Yeah, and I, th- I thought that was like great, like such a brilliant idea. And it kind of, it kind of flamed it. They did a couple of them, and then it just kind of went away. Yeah, I know that was a really good idea. And we we were doing stuff at Relentless that was trying to do a similar thing, like a sort of sort of massively online quiz thing. But like Microsoft one was pretty cool. I think it's just really expensive to run that sort of thing because it was like live hosted and stuff, wasn't it? Was yeah. Like, and so 
it's just quite like that sort of event gaming was like a definitely like a buzzword for a while uh, not you know but like a sort of thing that everyone thought was going to take off where everyone on a friday night would like play this one game that was somehow like segue into television or something like we did quite a lot of stuff with buzz that was hoping to go in that area i feel like stuff like that could still yeah theoretically happen like i the the thought of um like say a saturday rocket league tournament for instance where everybody in the world gets a go and if you win you go through the next round because i imagine you probably quite quickly whittle down like a couple of thousand or hundred thousand people to you know the top 20 or whatever yeah yeah and that'd, that'd be super exciting because you'd get just like randoms from all over the world suddenly like going up the ranks and stuff that'd be brilliant well yeah and that's what you talk about things like that with sort of that model with buzz where you'd get everyone playing and then it'd go down and down and down until like ant and deck were there with like five the five top people from europe answering questions or whatever and it all sounds like it's it could definitely work, but then in reality, some people don't want to do that. I don't know, or something's wrong with it somehow for human. It's behavior. one of those things where you kind of you, you have to have um, a mass investment straight away. Like you can't kind yeah, of build yeah. up to that. You need everybody to be into it, like right at the start. Yeah, and the sort of people you need to be into it as like people who watch Friday Night TV might be. So you need to advertise to them in expensive places and stuff like yeah. that. You know about it. It's not like a gaming audience necessarily or whatever. Like. But then, yeah, maybe, or, or people just don't like to be together at the same time as much as everyone wants them to do. <laughs> do you know <laughs> I mean? The world's become a bit more asynchronous, perhaps, than, than uh, all that. Possibly. So, but it's but hard to tell. How did, how did you find working on that then? Because, like, it, it, as we said, it's not like a traditional game sort of thing. So did you, like, how did you approach it? Were you kind of like, well, this isn't really a game, but I'll, I'll do what, what I can? Well, when I, so I joined, when I joined there, I was like a, sort of junior bottom of the rung producer guy pretty much because i'd done project management at babel but not really done games properly and so they were like okay you start at the bottom whatever and so i was doing localization for a while because i knew that and then on the next game i got like assistant producer to to, to sort of getting more involved with the game team and all the scary programmers and all that sort of stuff and i had to like hi uh could you uh please do this thing that you don't want to do even though you've been here for like 10 years and a massive programmer and so i'd sort of like gradually getting that to happen so i was just like enjoying being involved in a game team really and like actually being a real producer and um but but relentless was a really special place at the time it was like okay we're not making a, a proper a, like you know sort of the core game or whatever we're not making it for gamers we're making it for normal people it's definitely got to be 100 percent accessible it's like our audience is not gamers or people who read games magazines or play games or anything like that it's all just like normal people who if they play this game they will enjoy it and it was like a real thing that we were all doing and it was like everyone was brought into doing that and then i'm not like leading up to saying that was wrong or anything it was right it was brilliant it was like that's why buzz was a huge success because the ethos of it was was all about that from the very beginning yeah it was it was all about like making a game that you could control that your mum could use and and so everything we ever did was always about those people and for those people and, uh, and that's sort of the niche that I ended up in, in, in a way, because I was there for so long. And did like sort of speaking of that, like you know, you, you're speaking to a, a, a different market. Like, since your mum was into this when she was a kid, like, did she continue to be into games? Like, were, were you, would you speak to your mum about this? Because that seems to be that kind of perfect mesh of the two. Well, yeah, it's weird because she, yeah, she she don't she's not really into games. She still plays a lot of mobile stuff now, actually, like surprisingly amount because she's her brain is still like that, but. I don't really talk to her about it, I guess. Like, we used to play Buzz. I used to play Buzz at Christmas and stuff with my family, and yeah. they all love it. 
they'd all love it and go, that was brilliant. Aren't you clever for making that? Um, okay, let's go and have dinner. And then that was it. That's like the extent of their interest in the game that I made. They enjoyed it while they played it, which was the point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But they weren't really going to go out and do anything more other than just play it if it was around a bit like if you'd made Monopoly and you played it at Christmas with your family, they'd be, oh, aren't you clever? But like, <laughs> I can't play Monopoly all day. Do you know what I mean? For people that aren't into games, that's just how it works, right? The fact no, absolutely, it, yeah. The fact that they played it at all is like the thing and that they enjoyed it and it wasn't confusing and weird and about like scary aliens or anything like that. They were like, just a normal, happy family experience for them, which was the whole point, really. But I mean, like, how would... Because it's kind of like, it's such a traditional thing, like, but if you're you're thinking, right, we need to, like, or would you rather be thinking we need to reinvent this thing? Like, oh, we need to make some way of making quizzes new other than this. But, you, I mean, you can't really do that because you, you kind of risk yeah. breaking the yeah. thing itself, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's sort of the weird challenge of making a game like that, which <clears throat> which is definitely like a skill, design skill or like production skill and, and everyone working on it has to sort of take that in, into account that you're not you're not there really to like innovate in certain areas because those areas are so fundamental that you have to preserve them like like we'd come up with ideas for rounds that were really complicated or whatever and they would just get rejected because they're just too complicated like if it's not about just answering the questions and scoring in some sort of fashion then it's too much like there's too much yeah. game there there's too much gameplay there for my mum to do and so Sure, you love it because you're a game designer and you play loads of games in your spare time that are much more complicated. But it's not for our audience, so like we have to re- rein it back in, and that and, and that's difficult for people. But it's definitely like a learned technique, a sort of a way of working that you have to learn when you're working on a game like that. Yeah. Which I guess if you spoke to like SingStar people or like you know I don't know, I guess people at Harmonics and stuff like that, like people who make similar sort of things, it's sort of an exercise in knowing when to stop and what to make perfect. Are they still making them? Is, is Buzz still a thing? I don't think Buzz itself is. That's owned by Sony, and I don't think they're doing anything with it, as far as I know. But um, Relentless is still making stuff and still going strong and doing um, all sorts of bits and pieces. They've sort of done the, the murder mystery stuff, which is really cool. And then they've done. I've not pop- heard of the murder mystery stuff. What's that? Uh, what was it called? Blue Toad Mysteries. They did. Oh, okay. It was like a sort of um, who done it, but like uh, sort of multiplayer solving puzzles and taking clues and stuff like that. I had no idea. I thought that was just like a, a point-and-click adventure game. I had no idea that's what it was about. Yeah, it's definitely more than that. It's it's not. I wouldn't say it's like a social multiplayer necessarily, but maybe. Yeah, you still play it as, as socially with multiple people. It's just it's sort of quite. It's sort of mixed in with murder mystery. Murder mystery is an amazing genre that we were sort of like skirting around and trying to do things with, like nearly the whole time I was at Relentless. Like people would always have murder mystery ideas and always want to do because it's such like a fundamental cool thing that. Well, I would say cool. It's not really that cool, but like, you know, it's, like <laughs> it's like a game mechanic ways, or like you know, social mechanic ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's incredible. Like it's amazing. It's like it's a bit like sort of werewolf is so amazing because it's that that it's all about that. You know, like lying to each other. And uh, there must be out. like an amazing. Someone must be working on an amazing like virtual reality murder mystery game because there's so much cool stuff you could you do would with think that. So. Yeah, or just like it's it's like it's, it's it's one of those design challenges that appears to be right there. And then you can work on it for months and not quite get it. And you realize that it's really elusive. And it's like, we had this amazing game where we wanted to, at Relentless Switch was going to be, have a, like a big old phone as a peripheral. And that was it. Like a, you know, like a big dark, a rotary phone. Or whatever. Yeah. And it, the game would ring you 
and certain people would have to answer and you'd get clues and there'd be like a guy or there'd be like a, a misdialed call or whatever. But that'd be the only, the only peripheral for the whole game and, and there'd be like a murder mystery going on basically. And, and, but we spent ages trying to get that to work and I still think there's something amazing there but like it's just sort of nebulous. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, totally. Social dynamic is so nebulous that you can't quite make a design that like makes it so precise that you can do it. Like where you need so many kind of things to come together all at once before yeah. it works properly. Yeah, because you still have to have like gameplay that's measurable. Yeah. Properly, otherwise it just sort of it's just like a bunch of people hanging out. Do you know what I mean that's not like a real game? Yeah. Um, okay, so you you were at Buzz, but then uh, you left. Obviously, you went to work with uh, our friend Rodri at Daco Daco. Was that is that what happens? Yeah. Pretty much. Well, um, yeah, so it was relentless, like seven years or something, a long time. And then just I was sort of getting a bit restless and getting a bit bored of doing stuff, the same, same sort of stuff. Like I'd made a lot of buzz games at that point. And, um, and there, there was new stuff going on, but it wasn't like Float My Boat especially. And you couldn't and, get the phone game to work, obviously. Yeah, there was that, <laughs> my dream game. But um, <laughs> I won't, I'm not going to claim credit for that game, but I really liked it at the time. I remember pushing for it really hard. But, yeah. And... Um, yeah, we did loads of like. I did a whole, almost a whole year of like pitches and prototypes and stuff that didn't happen for whatever reason, and so that was quite frustrating. And then ended up making some mobile stuff because Relentless was sort of pivoting to do mobile at that point rather than console. And I was like, I don't really want to make mobile games. I'd rather make console games. And so I was like, ah, oh, maybe I should leave. And then I was talking to Rod at the same time, and he was saying, oh, I want someone to come and help him. So he had been on his own making uh, PSP games for a while. Um, yeah, so you went there like right at the start, were you? No, not at all. He'd, he'd been going for a while. He'd been going for, I don't know how many years, a few years at that point. And then he wanted to sort of upgrade a bit to a bit bigger game, like a, a new deal going that was slightly larger. And so I went to join him basically to do sort of production side and everything else that I could do to help. And this was uh, Daco Daco, just to yeah. give a time yeah. to get on it. Rod was episode four or five i think um and so how was that like because obviously you're going from you know a, a relatively big studio to just like a tiny little indie team yeah it was like it was awesome like if i like at the time i remember thinking this is great this is filling in loads of like holes in my ability to be like an amazing producer maybe i play too many games but like the sort of skill tree yeah was like I definitely needed to branch out and 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 get away from like being safe inside a big a big developer that was being looked after by a big publisher. I mean, Relentless wasn't massive, but it was about a hundred people at some point. And also, it was Sony. There was loads of like Sony support because of the Buzz franchise, so it was always like pretty straightforward. And I could like spend money left, right, and center at Relentless on like VO actors and all that sort of stuff. So going to Daka Daka, where there was like literally no money to spend, and it was all about just making this tiny game, was like was brilliant. Um, and we made uh, Scram Kitty, which was a Wii U game, and then later on a PS4 game, which is still probably like the game I'm most proud of that we've that I've made in some it's ways. A very good game. Well, yeah, I love it. It's amazing. Like it's pure Rod. Like the the design of it and the implementation of it is all straight out of his brain onto like a computer. Do you know what I mean? Like it's exactly. I mean, yeah. he'll he'll probably tell you that he's not happy with the, all this and that, and it wasn't right. But like it's literally like the dis- try i would say it's distillation of the sort of things he was seeing in his head when he was making it cuz he was so used to working on a game completely by himself yeah and and so it was quite difficult for me actually like we did clash quite a lot and you know we had arguments just because i was used to running a team of people 
Yeah, and suddenly it's just one person that you're saying no to. So it becomes almost vindictive then as opposed to practical. Yeah, and also he wouldn't be told no either. Do you know what I mean? Like he'd, yeah. he'd, he'd like he'd be like, okay, fine, and then just do it anyway because it was his company, and he wanted to do that stuff anyway. And also, he couldn't stop himself from like making what he wanted to make. Didn't matter how much I went on about what the schedule was. Yeah, didn't really, didn't really matter. Do you know I mean so? It was quite frustrating in that regard, but like in a way refreshing because it's like it's all about the game rather than the schedule. Like at being at Relentless so long, I become very organized and quite safe. We used to spend ages doing anything on Buzz just because it was like a big sort of ship to move. Absolutely, yeah. So we'd like, okay, that feature is going to need to be planned and then it worked out and then executed and then QA'd and all this sort of stuff. Whereas Rod would be like, okay, I've changed the jump mechanic completely into something completely different <laughs> last night. And I was like, now we've got to deal with it. So it's like a completely different situation. But, you know, amazing because of that. Yeah, and one of the, um, I'm not trying to, incites any sort of arguments or anything but uh it wasn't one of the things that you both had a different opinion on what the shooting should be so like one 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 of you was like it should just shoot straight from the rail and then the other was oh you should be able to do it like a twin stick shooter yeah yeah we disagree about i think i think we probably disagreed about like jumping shooting <laughs> and moving <laughs> in various degrees like the entire time because it was that's that was sort of so <laughs> fundamental well, that's but what I mean, that, like with a game like that, where it's kind of it is small and it's very distilled in what it's trying to do. I mean, I mean, it is quite literally an on rails shooter. Yeah. Um, any sort of change to any one of these things is going to have a huge kind of impact on the the thing as a whole. You know. Yeah, definitely, and like you know, Rod would be Rod would be searching for this like perfect mechanic, which is like what he should be doing, and that was amazing. That was why it was so amazing. But like, I, maybe I'd made a load of levels because towards the end I was trying to like. You know, the sort of producer in me is saying, right, we're going to have this many levels and they're going to be, they take this long to make. And so this is how many we can do. And this is when we're doing them. And the art is coming in. And so it'll be ready at this time. Brilliant. I've got it all organized. And then Rod will be like, okay, I've made the jump completely different, completely invalidate all the level design that we've done up to this point. And art's got to change and stuff. And it's like, okay. But like, I loved that it was in service to the game all the time. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, it's all very well being a producer, but your your stuff is not as important as the game being amazing i mean you see that like uh, I'm, I'm bringing this up again purely because it's like the only other example i've got of a producer in games is in the double fine adventure you saw that like almost every episode with yeah you know greg with his best of intentions sort of a schedule and then suddenly having to just wipe the whole thing and start from scratch because suddenly the game is a different game yeah yeah and i think it's like i don't know if you imagine people imagine producers on the outside of games industry, maybe or maybe it's just the way i do things but like has to be quite egoless if you ask me because it's not about you at all it's not even about the work you're doing as a producer you're sort of like the least valuable your work is the least valuable in the way that it's got to be scrapped if the game needs it to be scrapped do you mean like if 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 art can only make the thing they want to make as amazing as they can by by you just doing like all your work again then that's just what you do because that's more important and uh while you're there to constrain the game into a thing that can get shipped, which is really important, you've got to give it all up if it makes the game better, like if you can, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, you have to sort of like, well, you're sort of like there to take the hit in, in a lot of ways because you, um, you're in front of the team when the publisher is being horrible or whatever. You're like, you're the one who takes that so that they don't have to or whatever. <laughs> and like, uh, on the other side as well, when everyone's completely... Uh, you know, lost faith because of stupid ideas going around too much. 
you're the one who has to like get them back up to being excited about the game and tell the publisher that everyone's excited about the game and all that, like you know sort of in the middle of it all, all the yeah time. yeah totally but um it's hard when it's just you and someone else there was a couple other people working on scram kitty too and uh and so it wasn't just us two but like um that's why it would clash so much i guess because i'm trying to get the game out and Rod's just trying to make the best game ever and they don't always match those yeah two goals. No, totally and it's it's the the struggle of kind of commercial art basically that's all yeah, that's yeah. The case yeah which is sort of you know i guess that's why i love what i do because it's like uh, it's always that point it's always like an artistic creation versus a commercial reality and you um you know producers probably say all sorts of stupid stuff but the the if you're not shipping it, if your game doesn't ship, it's not really anything, in my opinion. Do you know what I mean? Like Absolutely, you, yeah. If it doesn't make it out and people don't play it, then what was the point in making all that amazing stuff? Like, it's got to get out. It's got to be made. Have you? Do you use any like of uh, old psychological tricks? Not not that you have to trick people necessarily, but just like in, as a way of kind of dealing with with the the instinct to just keep making things better and better. Yeah, I think so. Like probably unconsciously, but like you you end up being quite a, like a a sort of people person i guess in a way or like a, man, a manipulator of people at any rate like you've got to get you've got to get things to happen yeah. so that sometimes means not having a confrontation with someone but like i don't know but you're a dad yeah. as well so you have to learn these skills yeah so. exactly. <laughs> negotiation yeah the skill of negotiation so how um how how was that like i mean how old are your kids now they're, they're relatively old are they not yeah, so Arthur's oldest, he's eight, and then Albert is five. He's so two boys. And how has that been, like playing games with them? Like, were they, were you ever kind of wary of games for them? Not really. I mean, Arthur's like, I guess I get the feeling he's got a similar brain to me. He's like, he took to games almost immediately. Do you know what I mean, like, as soon as he's old enough to understand what was going on, he'd pick up a controller and stuff, and he's just like, he could sit on games all day long, like without any sort of trouble at all. Albert's, Albert likes him, but he's not quite. He's not quite that same character. But Arthur's definitely got that sort of whatever it is in us that yeah that hooks you instantly, and you and like eight hours could by go by and you wouldn't even notice sort of thing. And were you like? Uh, I, I imagine you weren't just based on this conversation so far. But were you like, oh, you need to play these games first. Like this is this is you need to learn about games. Well, a bit, yeah. I mean, um, I definitely tried to give him a, an education i haven't like gone overboard and said right you need to play pong first or like space war or whatever and then then you have to like work up from there before you get to play anything else but there was that guy the guy who did that you yeah about that and he and his kid had like the most amazing twitch skills ever because <laughs> they played through basically every generation for a couple of months up until like he got to the current gen right yeah i'd really like to make him play he was playing some afterwards but he plays on this website called Friv. I don't know if probably like anyone over the age of 11 has got no idea what that is, but it's like, it seems to be like a collection of web games with no rhyme or reason. I don't know how they make money and stuff. I don't understand, but it seems, it's amazing. It's like full of like ridiculous amounts of like flash games. And... Well, your computer's full of malware, obviously. Yeah, it's probably screwing <laughs> everything, but like, but he plays that all the time. And and some of the games on there, I, I like, wow, that's not a bad game, but like he was playing something with the uh, units that had to fight each other, like different strength units or something and you'd set them up and then they'd fight and you remember that game north and south on amiga i don't know if you do i don't that. know i never had to amiga it was like a it's probably a snes game or something but anyway it was like um american civil war and you'd like uh, okay you had to buy horses and like 
cannons and stuff and then they'd like fight each other and depending on what was stronger they'd like some would take others out and anyway it was the same game and i was thinking i need to get that amiga game and make him play that but he probably just hasn't got the patience to play those sort of games that's the problem like i think i don't know going back to some of those games are just really hard like they're really hard hard work you have to be really good at them and yeah like, no totally kids have got like i think kids have got a bit soft and they probably don't have the they probably would they'd get there because we did as kids oh but, of course no, that was because there wasn't, you know, a million different couldn't do anything else. things you yeah, you could do at the time. You couldn't just go and watch somebody play whatever the cool thing was on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. But they know all that's out there, so it's a little bit hard to make them focus on no, you must play like, you know, this really hard. Are they are they are your kids into that? Like the the kind of Twitch and YouTube sort of streamers? Not that much actually, luckily. I've sort of tried my, I've managed to keep them a little bit away from it. They um not on purpose, but just sort of don't don't sort of because it does seem like I mean, from from an outside point of view, it, it seems like the like the kids' TV basically. Like like we were the way we look back on old like kids' TV presenters, they'll look back on like streamers. Yeah, I think so. Up. I think so. There's like um, I got a friend at work. He's got two two boys who are a bit older than mine, and they're both of them are like really into Stampy and loads of other people as well. And my nephew's ten, watches a lot of stuff. It's like groups of yeah, so, you know, like young men just nattering about games together and stuff like that that's just like very prevalent obviously my yeah. kids don't quite yet but they probably will soon i, would, I wouldn't it's probably not long they know definitely know they exist and talk about it at school and all that sort of stuff it's bizarre like how how quickly that has just become the norm yeah like that that, that would have been unheard of like even seven or eight years ago yeah and even people i work with who like just watch have stuff in the background at work just watching like um you know people talking about streams of games and stuff just that's like, much more common yeah no i, I do it often yeah. I, I watch a lot of uh, hearthstone streams like right, I, really, right. I really enjoy it i find it very relaxing yeah. to be fair that's probably the only one i do that and dark souls 3 right or whatever dark whatever epic name bro is doing because there's so much lore in those games that i'm like i don't know how anyone is supposed to know this but it's quite interesting to see yeah yeah someone else explore it yeah i can't i can't get into anything like that i don't know why i don't i really like, you probably have a go at me for not listening to your thing, but I, I don't really like podcasts that much, and I don't like listen to people on oh, streaming or conversation. Anything. Yeah, that's it. I don't know why it is. I can't concentrate. My mind drifts off when I. But is it just it. games though? Or do, like, do you not listen to any podcasts? No, I don't listen to anything like that. Really, I can't even listen to audiobooks or anything because I just realise I've not been listening for like the last hour. Or <laughs> <laughs> I think so that's more your kind of um, laissez-faire attitude. I think just, <laughs> you let your mind just wander away. It's wandered off. Um, so how you left Daco Daco so what, what are you doing now yeah so I left um, essentially because there wasn't enough going on for me to do and it seemed yeah. like I shouldn't <clears throat> stick around and uh, and so I went well I, I emailed a friend of mine Casper who um, had left Relentless and set up a company called Wish with a couple other people from Relentless and said oh do you know anyone in Brighton who's looking for um, I'm pretty lazy. I don't really want to leave Brighton. <laughs> you know I mean, so I managed to like. There's a lot of good stuff in Brighton, though. Well, yeah, tons. But it's not like you know. There's some games industry down here, and it's pretty good. But it's not like the only games industry in the world. But it seems like I'm too lazy to leave town, so I, yeah. I stay down here. And said, I said to him, "Do you know anyone who's looking for someone?" He's like, "Well, yeah, us probably. Like, come and work with us." And I was like, "Really? That seems like much too good a chance to." But um, so I did. So I went, and so I stayed sort of freelance. But I'm working been working at wish for a while now um and what are you working on you like to say nope oh. <laughs> unfortunately not um something cool something really good something console and something 
something that everyone will like, but uh, it's not announced yet, so I can't talk about it, unfortunately. Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah, it won't be too long, hopefully. But, um, yeah, I'm not going to even say anything more because I'll accidentally give something away and then be in big trouble. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that, that's exciting. That's a, a, nice, a nice tease. Yeah, exactly. Come back in a while. Just, I, I'm not going to press this any further, but um, is there, are you doing anything for E3? Uh, no, no. Right, okay. So it's not going to be eggs in a couple of weeks or anything. I wouldn't have time to be on a podcast if I was... Well, uh, that's, that's very true. <laughs> that is week. very true. Although, to be honest, it's been good. I wish we didn't crunch too much. It's a bit sort of relentless DNA stuck around. Hey, do you mean... Oh, okay, okay. I've seen you're giving away yeah. too much now. I can cut that a bit if you want. <laughs> I don't know if that happens. No, no, no. I mean, in terms of like working hours and practices. And right. Okay. 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 So at the time, relentless was quite not famous, but you know, soundbitey for like saying we wouldn't crunch and all that sort of stuff. But it's more just like being sensible. I mean, that does seem to be a thing in in Brighton, especially because I mean, I've not spoken to like everyone, obviously, but I've had Kirsty Rigdon and oh my god, I can't forget his name because that's terrible. The Ollie James. Ollie, the Ollie Ollie guy. Oh, right. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I can't remember his name, sorry. Oh, man. No, I'm going to have to look it up so I can edit it and then say his name. Edit it back in. Because I don't want to sound like a total dick. John Ribbins, that was his name. So <laughs> I'm going to try and make this not forced now. Um, so I've spoken to, like, I haven't spoken to everyone in Brighton, but I've spoken to, like, Kirsty um, and, and John Ribbins and stuff, and they're very kind of not well they're fierce proponents i suppose of like no crunch like we don't do crunch right it's just yeah it's unhealthy yeah i mean i think that's the thing that sort of happened a bit more amongst a lot of people just because they came from companies where they did it and uh set up their own company and decided they weren't going to do it and yeah and found out found out it was completely possible i feel like <laughs> games as well have got like a much better window uh, maybe uh, i'm imagining it but over the past year or so especially it feels like g- they may still have like a window of time where they're going to be super relevant, but it's not like okay, today's the day. Okay, here's the big game. Like you don't have to. You can kind of. I think it's the rise of stuff like Project Greenlight and you know, yeah, prolonged yeah. beaters and stuff. It feels like games kind of roll out more slowly. Definitely, definitely, especially for indies, they can sort of yeah, they can early alpha or early access or whatever, and just like yeah, have something that comes out and then they're working on constantly. Especially even people who like stream what they're doing and all that sort of stuff, right? Like a constant development where you're visible yeah rather than like everything builds up towards the first week of december and you have to have your game out then otherwise it's a massive failure sort of thing yeah i def- that's definitely the case that that's happened more and even bigger games like sort of come out with the expectation that they'll they'll patch they'll you change have, you have yeah. patches and all that yeah sort of stuff. and it's like a it's sort of semi-ironic you know this well i guess it's not ironic it's just that it maybe too early the whole microsoft sort of always online debacle yes 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 <laughs> but really what they were doing was like the way the industry is going it was just that maybe they, they didn't handle it or they did it too early or yeah but that's sort of what's happened anyway do you know what I mean like there's almost no games that big games that don't patch early or like have updates and all that sort of stuff yeah no you can't really there's always going to be problems if you don't have an internet connection yeah for, for many games um I we've covered all sorts of good stuff um is there anything that we haven't mentioned that hasn't come up that you wanted to mention um not really i don't think i mean you've followed up to the present day pretty much are you are you still as into games as you ever have been are you excited about them as much yeah i guess so i mean i, I don't play as much. <laughs> i guess uh, so isn't really a ringing endorsement well, uh, no i mean i'm not i don't think i'm 
I don't get consumed by a desire to play stuff like I used to. I, I get more enjoyment out of looking at stuff and seeing how stuff's made than I used to, I think. Like I was, um, you know that, uh, what's it called, Scratch.io, the website of like indie, have you ever seen that? I don't think so. It's like a... Itch.io. Yes. Itch.io no, it, yeah, is like the, the indie game one. Yes, that's one. Sorry, not Scratch.io. The Itch.io. And then, so I'll go on there. <laughs> that's the opposite like, of Itch.io. Yeah. That's <laughs> what happens afterwards when you scratch. Um, so I go on there and I don't really want to play any of those games, but I, when I see the picture of each game, it like fires something in me that makes me immediately want to go and make a game. Do you know what I mean? Like the, I'll see a screenshot or something. Or even on Eurogamer, I'll see, like, I'll see screenshots of games and they look so interesting that I'm like, shit, I've got to go and make something straight away <laughs> that's like something new. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, totally. Instantly, instantly make it with this art style and this gameplay and this sort of setup. And then I go and try and start it and I do some stuff in Unity sometimes that I'm trying to do on my own. And, um, and realize that it's like months away from anything. And so the, the actual execution of a game is obviously so long-term compared to the urge to make something. Yeah, how do you kind of, like, do you kind of get that out, as you said, with just like dabbling in Unity? Because being a producer, you would no doubt have all kinds of ideas that you wouldn't necessarily be able to implement yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I've been, over the last couple of years, I've been doing more in Unity at home um, on my own, the stuff. I've been sort of semi-teaching myself bit of coding like enough to get by unity has been a bit of a godsend because it's so easy to get stuff running in um and i still do a bit of uh drawing stuff not much but like enough to get some art in so i've got like a like you know apprentice skills in some areas and i can produce myself pretty well so i get all that <laughs> which is uh, stupid because i end up like organizing the game really well and having like text files external to the game for the game text when I haven't even got a game design to do. Do you know what I mean? Like really stupid organized stuff that, I, that the producer of me wants to do, but I haven't even got a game. So usually what happens is I make something to a certain point, I really like it, realize there's not enough gameplay or the gameplay is flawed somehow and then abandon it and start something else. And so that's been like a pattern over the last couple of years. But you've got something going on, but nothing that would ever get anywhere. Well, it's literally uh, scratching that itch yeah, to really pull apart that, that mistake. Yeah, no, it really is. Um, it's something that, yeah, I don't have to talk to anyone about. I can just do whatever I want and say so that's like, what it is. It's not, it's not quite as bad as a hobby, I guess. I still have some sort of hope I could use it one day, but like, yeah. But uh, it's not really anywhere anywhere uh, that's going to make any money or do anything good at any point. But one day, maybe. You never know. You never yeah. Know. Um, one, yeah, this is sort of a question I try and ask everyone. Um, can you think of a game that's really made you laugh? Oh, blimey. Um, I'll tell you what made me laugh recently was Gang Beasts. Do you know that game? Um, uh, no, but I'm actually I'm going to get a chance to play that on Saturday for the first time. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's awesome. like the, the sort of plasticine kind of Smash yeah. Brothers, not Smash Brothers, like Power Stone style game. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's like real physics heavy. So what happened was that the other day, well, in fact, we know, I've known about it for a while. We talk about it at work quite a lot because there's quite a lot of us there who um, play a lot of games. And so there's always like a ready ready spring of people to play multiplayer with and they play lots of people play rocket league and all that sort of stuff and every time there's videos of gang beasts we're like we've got to get that game but it like, requires obviously getting early access somehow pairing like four pads with a pc enough to, that anyone can play which mm -hmm. is like anyway the other week the other week we said right let's do that and i productionized it and said right i'm gonna i went and bought it got the pads found the drivers got it all set up and said <laughs> right here it is now we're doing it let's play it and so we um we played that all week and it's just been hilarious. Like, uh, 
I've not laughed like that for ages watching people just like stamp on each other's hands when they're trying to hang on stuff and just like the way they animate is amazing. The way the stuff they've done, it's like it's quite rough still. I would say it's not very forgiving for players. Like you have to put quite a lot of effort and it crashes and all that sort of stuff. But they obviously put loads of work into trying to mix the physics and the animations together. Sometimes one of the characters would do something that's so recognizably like what a human would do in a ship fight. Yeah. <laughs> it, just, it just destroys you. It's so funny. Do you know what I mean? It's just like a fat man trying to block a punch in a really bad way or something. <laughs> and people just make their own little stories about who they are and what their character's nature is just automatically and stuff. It's just amazing. I'm looking forward to playing that now. That's very yeah, exciting. Yeah, definitely will enjoy it. I hope, they, I hope they get time to like really work it up. It's like the one criticism I'd have is that it's just not quite solid enough for you to have faith in it as a player. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a little bit. Yeah. Need well, they're working with either. um with Double Fine, are they not? Double Fine, they're kind of producing. Yeah, it, they're they? publishing it, are they? Yeah, publishing uh, it. Yeah. Um. Well, I don't know. Yeah, some involvement, haven't they? But hopefully, they'll get time and money enough to work on it as much as they can, and it'll get polished up and released because it's amazing. Cool. Well, I think we've covered everything, Dan. Um, okay. That was that was good. Are you happy with that? Are you pleased? Yeah, fine. I haven't talked about that stuff for ages properly with anyone, so that's quite nice. No, it's good. I really enjoyed it. Sieta ne gori, neka ljubav se vodi i padjele.